KKVV Las Vegas. Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Hosted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we're on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. If you're a local and like to join in on our discussion today, you will dial 702-650-5588. I say again, local, if you'd like to join in on our discussion today, have a praise report, a prayer request, a comment. We'd love to hear from you. 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you. And that number would be 800-366-8883. I say again, if you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, like to join in on our discussion, please dial 800-366-8883. Also, we're being streamed live over KKVV's website, and their web address is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just wave to you. In addition to that, we are also being streamed live from Save the Lost at All Costs' website. And our web address is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, please go to our website. Again, www.savethelostlv.org to select the date that you like to listen to. The gospel is always free on our watch. And tell somebody else about it. Also, if you have a Apple device. We are being archived on iTunes. Again, the gospel is still free on our watch. If you have a cell phone, we truly encourage you to take this number down and put it in your cell phone contacts. It only works in the United States. However, you can listen to KKVV anytime you like, and you can also dial the number right now and join in and listen to Save the Lost at All Costs. And that cell phone number would be 563 nine 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 thirty one ninety four again five six three triple nine thirty one ninety four I would like to be able to give a birthday blessing and shout out to one of my dear sisters in Christ. Her name is Patrice. We love you, Trice. God bless you. Uh, it was wonderful to see you and your wonderful husband last night to know that God has blessed you with another year of life. Uh, you're doing wonderful things, such a servant, such a beautiful spirit, and such a testimony. So please continue to enjoy yourself and our community and have a safe trip home tomorrow. I love you. God bless. All right. So what we're talking about today is basic Bible study skills. Last week, we talked about books of the Bible. Well, now that we have identified them, well, what are we going to do with them? So um, God put it on my heart, and uh, again, we're going to talk about basic Bible study skills. So as you know, 
the year 2018, God also put it on my heart to share with you one Greek word every week. So my ultimate goal, God willing, and the creek does not rise, that by the end of the year, we will have looked at 52 Greek words that will really help you understand what God is saying to you in a season called now. So I'm very excited about that. And the word that I have today is called dokimos, dokimos. And that word is spelled D-O-K-I-M-O-S. Again, D-O-K-I-M-O-S. And it's in Strong's, and it would be G1384. Again, you'll find it in Strong's Concordians, G1384. Now, we're going to look at uh, a verse today that we will find in Second Timothy, um, second chapter, verse 15. Again, we'll find this in Second Timothy, second chapter, verse 15. But let me give you some background on uh, the word dokimos. So it means to be approved, properly accepted. And when I say approved, the approved servant of Christ, acceptable, pleasing. In the New Testament, it's universally means tried. Uh, one who is of tried faith and of integrity. So let me give you a little bit of background on this word, dokimos. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today. And no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated until liquid poured into mounds and allowed to cool. Modes, shall I say. The word is modes. Let me say that again. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today and no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated until liquid poured into modes and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of whittling down the coins then in circulation. But some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who put only genuine, full-weight money into circulation. Such men were called dokimos, and this word is used here for the Christian as he is to be seen by the world. Now, this comes from Donald Gray Barnhouse, Romans, God's Glory, on page 18. Fascinating. When you look at the comparison and you start seeing how God views us and you ought to get excited. It said that uh, there were some money changers who were men of integrity who would not accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who only used genuine full weight money into circulation, and such men were called dokimos. Can you believe that? So that ought to let you know that there is such thing as counterfeits, and they're still being used today. And they would equate themselves with being men of God, women of God, people of integrity, people of honor. Yet they are whittling down the word. They are not exchanging it correctly. 
because they're doing things for their own good and benefit. Be aware. There are some who walk among you that will present themselves as if they are acceptable and pleasing to God, when in fact they're not. So do not be deceived. So let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at verse 15. A lot of uh, you listeners will be familiar with this. You've, you've heard it several times in your study, and some of you may even consider it a memory verse. And I am in the uh, King James Version today. All right? So, I am in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and the Word of God says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. The word that we're looking here is approved. Again, acceptable, pleasing. In the New Testament, as we're in right here, universally tried, one who is of tried faith and integrity. So, it's important. Well, where are you going to get that from? What's important is that we understand that we are going to have to master studying the Bible. So how do you master that? Well, you must at least understand the basic Bible study skills in order to get to the point where you're mastering it. So we're going to look at a method that's called OIA, which means O for observe, I for interpret, and A for apply. So that is the method that we're going to look at today. And um, I'm hoping that I will be able to share a couple of other methods with you as we uh, move on throughout the year. So this is one I think would really help as far as basic Bible study skills, which is our topic for today. So I get this from a brother in Christ name is Peter Crawl, and Crawl is spelled K-R-O-L. Uh, he has a book that's called Knowable Word, Helping Ordinary People Learn to Study the Bible. And um, if you're familiar with Amazon, uh, he's written several books. Um, he's very uh, well received, um, a good brother to know in Christ, and has really done a miraculous work to help us focus on what needs to be focused on. So I really think that um, you should uh, do your due diligence, uh, look up uh, Brother Peter, and I think you will be pleasantly pleased. Uh, I um, am one who uh, has his book, and uh, you can buy it fairly uh, new for as reasonable as $7.50 on Amazon, or you can buy it new for as reasonable as $9.68. So, you know, well under $10 It's probably be one of the best investments that you have gotten in a long time. So I encourage you to do your due diligence, and uh, hopefully it will be a blessing to you as it is to me. So getting into what Brother Peter uh, has uh, laid out for us, he says you already may have a method, perhaps the ideal of a method Makes you nervous, but like it or not, you already have a method for Bible study. You just might not be aware of it. Some methods are unintentional and informal. For example, the divination method. 
open the Bible, drop your finger into a random place, read what you find, trust this is God's will for you today. That would be the divination method. Then you have a support group method. Read a passage of the Bible, close the Bible, consider or discuss in a group situation how you feel about what you just read. That would be the support group method. Then you have the prayerful method. Ask God to bring to mind a passage of the Bible that will address your current problem or need. Listen to what the thoughts are put in your mind. Look at those passages for encouragement or help. That would be the prayerful method. Again, these are unintentional and informal methods. Then you have other methods that would be quite intentional and formal. For example, the cross-reference method. Read a passage of the Bible. Highlight the key words or phrases in that passage. Look up another passage that this one reminds you of. The cross-references in the middle column of your Bible really help with this. Look up another passage that the second one reminds you of. Look up another passage that the third one reminds you of. Repeat until you run out of time. Again, this would be the cross-reference method. Then you have the word study method. Decide which topic you like to study in the Bible. Identify one or more key words that represent your topic. Search the whole Bible for passages that use those key words. Read each verse that comes up. Compile the components of your topic. Live in light of what you've learned. This would be the word study method. The next is the expert method. Read a passage of the Bible. Read a commentary on the passage of the Bible. Believe and act upon what the commentator wrote. Again, that would be the expert method. Here's the point. Everyone who reads the Bible has a method for studying. The Bible. What is your method? Are you even conscious of how you study the Bible? Even if you identify your method, is it a good one? Unfortunately, many methods don't result in correct interpretation. If the Bible is God's word to us, shouldn't we make sure we understand it? I'm going to read that again. If the Bible is God's word to us, shouldn't we make sure we understand it? Well, it is God's word to us. And that should be why you should make it all the more certain that you understand it. Now, we talked about the OIA method, which would be observation. What does it say? Interpretation. What does it mean? <coughs> Application. How should I change? Application. How should I change? Mm, that ought to be something that you really highlight, underline. How should I change? You can restate these three steps as to what, why, and so what. Or again, as to what the original author said, what that meant to the original audience, and what it means to our context. Wow. Very, very important. Again, it says what the original author said, what it meant to the original audience, and what it means to our content. Context. 
The OIA method, which again is observation, interpretation, application, method has many benefits. It teaches us to hear the text and respond to what we've read. It trains us in critical thinking and clear communication. It's interests, postdocs, preschoolers, everyone in between. It can be learned in five minutes and perfected over a lifetime. In observation, we will look at genre, words, grammar, structure, and mood. Interpretation, that's the Q&A, the question and answers. What, why, and so what? And we will look at it as it is in biblical times and how it relates to us now. And the author's main point, it all points to that. The gospel connection and then the application, the inward and the outward, which would be our head, our heart and our hands. We have to do something with it once we receive it. Correct. And so it's going to affect what we think in our heart and our mind and again, how we carry it out. It's important that we understand that. So the OIA method is more than a good idea. It's a tool to help you better know the word, the truth, and the life. Can you really conceptualize that? That the word, the truth, and the life. It's important. It's your life. And we only get one life and one opportunity. So it's very important that we line up with what God is truly saying. It's important. There's only one truth that we need to be concerned with. And that's God's truth. So in observing, interpret, and apply. Now let's look at the principles of OIA method. The first step in studying the Bible is to observe what it says before you even cross the line of scrimmage. However, familiarity is right there to knock you down. When you think you know something, you stop paying attention to it. Wow. When you think you know something, you stop paying attention to it. Okay. Words. Books of the Bible were constructed from stories. These stories were built from episodes. Episodes arose by gathering of paragraphs. Paragraphs disemboweled produced sentences. Sentences dissect into words. Words are our building blocks. Let's observe them to start. Grammar. Without grammar, it would be difficult to communicate. The heart of grammar lies in subjects and verbs. Note them well. God created. God so loved. All things work together. Structure, like music, literature has structure. Once we see the structure, we can identify the sections to interpret and apply them. Genre. Genre has to do with style, narrative, poetry, prophecy, law. Genre is easy to miss because it's not something that is likely to change substantially. From verse to verse. However, once you observe a book's genre, you'll understand how to read the passage you are studying. And you're likely to come across only minor deviations from time to time. Mood. 
Mood is the emotional direction in which an author tries to move his audience. Can you see the difference in the following sentence? I'm not upset with you. 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 Observing a passage's mood enables you to experience the story more fully. The author of a Bible passage is able to communicate not just the details, but how the participants experience those details. In doing so, he desires the audience to experience the stories, excuse me, the story similarity. Now, here are four specific tips to help you get started. Repeated words. I can't repeat it enough. Pay attention to anything that repeats. This is one of the simplest observations you can make. Get a Bible you don't mind writing in and highlight repeated words with the same color. The author's big idea will jump off the page. For example, Genesis 14 repeats the word king more than 20 times. It's even built into one of the character's name, Melchizedek, meaning king of righteousness. The author wants us to think about what a true king looks like. Comparison and contrast. A passage often shows how two or more things are similar. Comparison or different contrast. Picking up on the connection can help, for example, Mark 5, 21 through 43 leads us to compare and contrast the dying girl and the bleeding woman. How do those comparisons and contrasts help Jairus? How should that help us? Characters pay special attention to how each character's name in the passage. Example, will communicate important information just by using certain names. For example, Genesis 21, which has a lot to say about Ishmael, never mentions his name. He's always the son of Hagar or the son of the slave woman. Why do you think that is? Connectors. Words like therefore, in those days, or in the same way, draw connections between sentences, paragraphs, or chapters. Notice the connections so you can work to figure out why they're there. For example, Genesis 15.1 begins with after these things. How might it affect your understanding of this chapter if you think about how Abram might be feeling immediately after the events of chapter 14? Careful observation creates the foundation for accurate interpretation and useful application. Don't move on too quickly from this important step. Principles of Interpretation The second major step in studying the Bible is to interpret or figure out why a passage says what it says. There are a few obstacles to excellent interpretation. Persistent observation, staying in the what and never moving to the why. Careless observation, building our conclusions on a shaky foundation. Unexamined presumption, drawing conclusions from limited evidence without investigation. Biblical authors intend to communicate meaning. 
We can agree or disagree with the meaning, but we can't overlook the fact that it's there. In other words, if someone claims a text means whatever you like, a helpful and respectful response might be, do you really mean that? By using the common standard of human language, it's possible to rightly understand the Bible. God's word is a knowable word. Context. Because every Bible passage was written in and for a particular situation, we must not lose sight of three kinds of context, historical, literary, and intertextual. Historical content involves the circumstances of writing. Excuse me. Literary content involves the passage before and after the text under consideration, as well as the argument of the entire book. Intertextual context involves other scripture passages that quote and or explain the passage under consideration. If we lift individual verses from their context, we endanger interpretation. At best, we might still hit on biblical truth. We just look foolish to the watching world when they see that a passage doesn't mean what we think. At worst, we run into error heresy or unbelief or we lead others towards those dangers all right how does interpretation work number one ask questions of your observations Lots of questions. Be as inquisitive as possible. Your question should be about your observation of the text. The main question to ask are what, why, and so what. What questions define the terms? Who, when, and where questions often fit in this category as well. Why? Questions uncover the author's purpose. So what? Questions draw out the implications. Number two. Answer the questions from the text. Once you've asked your questions, answer them. One critical rule, answer questions only if they are answered. Explicitly addressed or implicitly assume in the text. Proverbs 30 verses 5 through 6. Some answers are assumed in the text. The original audience would have known these answers. But they're lost on us because of the thousands of years that separate our lives from theirs. Some answers are addressed in the text. The author made these explicit for his audience. 3. Determine the author's main point. Your goal is to understand the main thing the author is communicating through the passage. We may draw conclusions about secondary, questionable, or implied points, but the main points are the ones worth fighting for. To figure out the author's main point, track the author's flow of thought. How did he get from the first verse to the last verse? One way to do this is to break the chapter into paragraphs, then determine the main point from each paragraph. String them together to see what might be the main point of the whole chapter. If you're still not sure, you could break it down further into sentences before putting it back together. Outline the essential grammar. This requires careful observation. 
of the outline. Excuse me. This requires careful observation of the passage. You can distill narratives to their basic plot structure. You can outline structural text by writing out just the subjects and verbs of each sentence. Often, noticing the shape of this skeleton helps with identifying the main point. Consider what the passage says about Jesus. We know he's the main point of the Bible, John 5.39, so we should expect each section to say something about him. A note about main points. A main point is not the same thing as a summary. A summary may be the climax of observation, but it is not the same as interpretation. A summary captures what was said, but not why it was said. Let me say this again. A summary captures what was said, but not why it was said. A summary states a passage, a main point, and explains the passage. Most Bibles have sections, headings, which are summaries, not main points. The good news is that once you have a summary of the passage, it's not complicated to get to the main point. You just take your summary and ask why. For example, example, a summary of Genesis. Number one could be the creation of the world. But a main point would explain what the narrator tells of the creation of the world. God's creative activity sets a pattern for human existence. How to see Jesus on every page of the Bible. Jesus is the main point of the entire Bible. He says so himself. In John 5.39, Luke 24, 48-48, Philip saw it in John 1.45, Peter recognized it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, Paul knew it, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to repeat that. How to see Jesus on every page of the Bible. Jesus is the main point of the entire Bible. He said so himself in John 5.39. Luke 24, verses 44 through 48. Philip saw it in John 1.45. Peter recognized it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And Paul knew it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. According to Luke 24 verses 46 through 47 every passage of scripture reveals Jesus by explaining at least one of the following truths the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead we must repent of our sin to be forgiven this message that the Messiah's death and resurrection makes forgiveness possible must be preached to all nations We must first understand the main point of an Old Testament passage before we can connect it to Jesus. We shouldn't look for Jesus in every detail. Jesus isn't necessarily in every detail, but his message is there. When you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, always ask which of the three points from Luke 24 is being addressed. And we talked about that. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead. We must repent of our sins and be forgiven. This message that the Messiah's death and resurrection makes forgiveness possible must be preached to all nations. Avoid mistakes with commentaries. Commentaries and study Bibles are like guns, powerful and effective, but gravely dangerous when misused. 
We're surrounded by great resources, but every blessing can become a course, a curse when we rely on the blessing and not on the Lord. So watch out for common mistakes regarding commentary usage. Number one. Mistake number one, ignore what others have said. We need to learn from the wisdom of others and study Bibles and commentaries, at least good ones, represent the best Christian thinking over a thousand of years. Two, mistake number two, allow commentaries to do our Bible study for us. It's tempting to read a portion of scripture and go right to the study notes or commentary once we've seen what the experts have said. We think we've understood the passage. This practice is not much different from when the Jewish rabbis used to do it. They'll debate interpretation by quoting different schools of thought, referring to the relevant commentaries to support their position. When Jesus came along, he astonished his generation because he refused to teach this way. Matthew 7 verses 28 through 29. He went right to the scriptures and he observed, interpreted and applied it. Matthew 21, 16, 42, Mark 2, 25. Jesus passed his authority on to his followers so they could interpret his word for succeeding generations. Matthew 28, 18 and 20, John 14, verses 12, 25 through 26, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. With the help of Jesus' spirit, you too can read and understand God's knowable word. Three, mistake number three, go to commentaries too quickly. When the meaning of a passage isn't intuitively obvious, it's tempting to grab a commentary right away. But try observing the scripture and working to interpret it on your own. Spend time thinking about it. Learn how to ask questions and then answer them. Try to determine the author's main point. Then read some study notes or commentary to check your work. See if others have already come to similar conclusions from the text. If they have, terrific. If they haven't, you might want to reconsider your own conclusions. Either way, you'll get the help you need without short-circuiting the process of learning how to handle the scriptures yourself. And we talked about that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Number four, mistake four, believe everything you read. Just because something has been published doesn't make it true. The point of IOA which would be observe, interpret, application method of the Bible study, is to teach you how to think and how to draw near to the Lord. As you compare your study of Scripture to that of the experts, be humble, but also be wise. Also ask if what you're reading in the commentary is faithful to the text or not. The Principles of Application the third step is studying the Bible is to apply or figure out how you should change to transition well from interpretation to application. Again, this is how you should change. Number one, work from the main point. It's important to understand the main point of a passage before applying it. Working from the main point gives your application teeth since it focuses on what God considers most important. Again, what God considers most important. Two, ask good 
So what questions? During the interpretation stage, you've asked a lot of questions. The main types are what, why, and so what. That third type of question can be difficult, but it provides the bridge between interpretation and application. The chief obstacle to vigorous application is our inertia. Left to ourselves, we will either stay put or keep moving in the same direction. But the scriptures apply both force and direction to move or redirect us towards the Lord Jesus. Two different, let me repeat that, two directions and three spheres. Again, two directions and three spheres. You can apply a Bible passage in two directions, inward and outward. In other words, you can change your own life to be more like Christ inward and you can become an influencer who helps others learn how to change to be more Christ outward. You can apply a Bible passage to three spheres, head, heart, and hands. In other words, a passage can address any or all three areas of conviction, character, and competence. The head represents everything you think and believe. Again, the head represents everything you think and believe. This sphere involves thinking God's thoughts after him and believing his truth. It involves identifying lies you believe so you can replace them with the truth. Knowing God through his word will change your thinking. To apply the Bible to your thinking, identify what you think. At number one, number two, identify what God wants you to think. Instead, three, begin thinking the new thoughts. The heart. The heart represents who you are. This sphere involves becoming a new person who desires the Lord above all and shows godly wisdom and selfless character. It's possible to apply the Bible vigorously to your head and hands and still not end up in the right place. Wow, it's possible to apply the Bible vigorously to your head and hands and still end up, not end up in the right place. Our culture abounds with ungodly theologians and legalists who have not been changed from the inside out. A key question is, what kind of person does God want me to be? You can tackle this question in a few different ways. Number one, what do you desire or value and what should you desire or value instead? Number two, what ungodly character traits should you turn from and what Christ-like character traits can you imitate instead? Number three, how might you be relying on your performance and how can you rely more on Christ's performance? Number four, what are your greatest hopes Is your bucket list too small compared to the Lord's bucket list for you? Number five, are you the kind of person others should imitate? Why or why not? And what will you do about it? The hands, they represent everything you do. This fear involves imitating the Lord and his ambassadors, learning new skills so you can be more effective at building God's kingdom and laying aside your own patterns of selfish behavior. Your application of the Bible must hit your hands. It will equip you in skills you didn't know you could acquire. The Bible will instruct you and train you in fresh ways so you can become a skilled laborer for the kingdom of God. The application matrix. The two directions and three fears combine to make six potential ways apply a passage. 
You don't have to fill all six boxes in every Bible study, but you may want to hit all six boxes over time as you think about applying the Bible to all aspects of your life. Don't fall into a trap of hypocritical living. Push your application inward and don't ever ask others to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Don't fall into the trap of self-centered living. Push your application outward and consider how you can be more effective and influence others to know Christ. Don't fall into the trap of overly theological application. Too much focus on your head. God cares about what you think and believe, but he also cares about your character and obedience. Don't fall into the trap of overly Piestic application. Too much focus on your heart. God cares about who you are, but it should flow out to your thinking and obedience as well. Don't fall into the trap of overly ethical application. Too much focus on your hands. God cares about what you do, but he also cares about your thinking and character. Instead, number one, remember Jesus. Your application must connect to and derive from Jesus and his saving work. In other words, nothing gets up your gumption for serving the Lord more than grace. Grace and more grace. You cannot drum up more faithfulness from the inside. You must be broken by God's unbelievable high standard and you must rest in Jesus' death in your place of obedience on your behalf. Every day then you'll walk the straight and narrow. Number two, get specific. Your application must also be specific. What does it mean to apply the Bible specifically? Number one, point your finger at yourself before you point it at anyone else. You're not qualified to help others grow in Christ unless you are growing in Christ yourself. Number two, focus on your heart in addition to your behavior. Don't apply the Bible shallowly. Figure out what you desire or believe and work to change those desires and beliefs. Number three, know your next steps. Don't be satisfied with your application until you've identified specific steps you can take to address the issue. Number four, make progress measurable. How will you know if you did the application or not? Pray more is not measurable. Next week, can I ask you if you prayed more? Pray more, then what, how, when? Five, put off and put on. Think of application as a process of stopping certain things and starting other things. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Don't focus on stopping sin without replacing it with godliness. Six, don't be lame. It's easy for application to become mechanical or to miss the point. Ask others who know you, how do you think I need to grow? Target those areas. Don't miss the point of what God wants to do in your life by focusing on irrelevant things. Now we're going to get to the unity of the Bible and conclusion. The Unity of the Bible. The Bible consists of 66 different books written by dozens of people across the millennia. The Bible is one book written by one author, God the Holy Spirit, conceived in eternity and executed in history. Both statements are true in the Bible. Unity and diversity coexist just like in Trinity in the church. So we must be fair to both. We're going to take a call and then we're going to get back with it. 
Hello, you're on Save the Lost at All Costs, and God bless you. Hey, Sloan, Sister Nina. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you right now concerning your study methods. What perspective are you gathering or are you want the listeners to uh, glean from? You asked a question. Can you be a little bit more specific with me? Yes, ma'am. I will break it down. I will, I, will, I will break it down for you. Okay. When I say perspective, because we know that the Messiah was a Jew. Are you coming from a Grecian aspect when you're, when you're encouraging the people to how to study the Scripture, or are you coming from the Hebrew perspective? There's a difference. So that's what I, I'll leave with you, and uh, if I take my answer off the air. Okay. All right. All right. I appreciate that. Right. Thank you. All right. Um, there was a great question that was asked in reference to the perspective. Would it be from a Hebrew perspective or would it be from a Greek perspective? As we know, um, there is a Old Testament and there is a New Testament. And the Old Testament, um, the language would be Hebrew and Aramaic and the Greek would be the New Testament. When we talked about observation, interpretation, and application, the thing that we have to be uh, concerned about is there is an historical aspect. So there was something going on historically at that particular time. In addition to that, there was a culture or there were a people that this message was um, directed to at that particular time. So that is important. And then we need to uh, look at the context and as it applied in biblical times to bring it up to where it is in our time. So um, my answer would be that based on where the passage of Scripture is will determine what the historical events were going on, uh, who the people were that the author was targeting because God used several authors, even though he is the author of it all, but he used different people to bring things to different people as far as the audience. And then again, the application, how should this change our lives? Because it's important that we replace lies with God's truth. And our whole journey should be to become Christ-like. When we look at the Old Testament, it clearly showed that we could not survive by the law alone. Matter of fact, the law is what condemned us. We needed uh, our Lord and Savior's work at the cross. We needed that salvation work to be done in order to uh, address our sins. Because if our sins weren't forgiven, you know, by his precious blood, by his crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection, where would we be? Because we have to be able to move into a, a season of repentance. Because if we're not in a season of repentance, there can be no forgiveness. Because then we're just sorry for that we got caught. There's no change. There's no regeneration. So it's a real, real important question that the caller asked. And I hope that I answered it because it all depends on, again, the historical time, who the audience was, and the application. And when we have to look at the original language, again, the Old Testament would be uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. And then when we get into New Testament, it would be Greek. But the main focus is always our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
but we have to see ourselves and how this story evolved. So I hope that helped. Now let's get back to the Bible consists of 66 different books written by dozens of people across the millennium. The Bible is one book written by one author, God, the Holy Spirit, conceived in eternity and executed in history. Both statements are true in the Bible. Unity and diversity coexist just like the Trinity and in the church. So we must be fair to both. When we talk about the OIA Bible study, which is observation, interpretation, and application, we focus primarily on the diversity of Scripture. Each author of each passage has a unique point to make. We read each text in its context to figure out its main point, connect it to Jesus, and draw applications for today. We'll get something different out of each passage. Different cultures and different generations will draw different applications from the same main points. That's okay. In fact, it's beautiful when we see God's knowable word connecting with any person in any culture at any time. However, we must not neglect the unity of the scripture. God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through each of those different authors. He strategically unraveled the stories and the laws and the poems and the letters in just the right way to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. Correlation. After studying a passage of scripture, we should connect what we learn to the rest of scripture. This is the process of correlation, constructing a systematic theology of worldview from the scripture. Correlation is not the same thing as cross-referencing. Cross-referencing is what we do when we surf the Bible as though we were on YouTube, we read one passage which makes us think of another one, makes us think of another one, which makes us think of another one, which makes us think of another one. World without end. <laughs> Amen. Unfortunately, cross-referencing rarely produces much insight into any of the texts. It certainly makes a lot of time which produces some satisfaction. It takes a lot of time, excuse me. It certainly takes a lot of time, which produces some satisfaction, but it doesn't help people to know God. It's like speed dating, giving the impression of activity without much intimacy. How do you correlate effectively while avoiding the dangerous, unhelpful cross-referencing? Number one, don't correlate too soon. Understand each passage first. When you Feel stuck in your Bible study? Don't jump to the center column of your Bible and start flipping or you'll be in danger of making an unhelpful, an unhelpful connection. When you feel stuck, the answer is usually to go back and observe more or to think of a few more questions. But by all means, take a guess at the main point before you attempt any connections to other passages. Number two, don't just harmonize, rather illuminate. In former generations, Bible teachers commonly thought to harmonize parallel passages. A teacher would take a story such as the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6, and he would rewrite the story using details from all four accounts. Then he would preach or comment on the harmonized text and not on any one of the original texts. If you like old commentaries, you know that I mean, for example, John Calvin didn't write any commentaries on Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He wrote just one commentary on the harmony of the evangelist and other one on John. Unfortunately, this approach misses the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have different points to make even when recounting the same event. 
Here's what's good, though. Some other passages can help to illuminate the passage under study. For example, Genesis 15:7 through 21 doesn't make a lot of sense to modern readers without the help from Jeremiah 34, verses 18 through 20. Ancient readers were familiar with the rituals. We are not. Number three, don't connect words. Connect connect ideas. The advent of internet search engines made it easier than ever to look up every instance of a word or phrase and string them together. The problem is that a word's meaning isn't the word itself, but in its use of the sentence. For example, what does the word mean mean? Does it have to do with identifying something or is it a person with a bad temper or is it the average of a set of numbers or a lack of some sort or is it hip slang for great as it she cooks a mean casserole we can know the answer only when we see the word in context as you correlate correlate well you'll grow closer to the lord himself day after day after day world without end conclusion you are approved Sometimes people don't study the Bible because they feel unqualified. But we're here to tell you that you already, you've graduated, you've been accepted for the position. Hello, you're on Save the Lost at All Costs, and God bless you. Oh, God bless you too. Um, I just want to share a little quick nugget. Uh, in the 14th century, the uh, Hebrew Israelite Sinto, he writes that there was no Greek or, or or other influence of the book of Matthew, but only in Hebrew. All right, I'll, you, you can give a little input, and I'll take it out there. Okay, then. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So we had another caller comment, and we appreciate that people are really listening intentively. Now, sometimes people don't study the Bible because they feel unqualified. Consider Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully handle, rightly handling the word of truth. Again, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That was Second Timothy uh, 2.15. We'll continue this next week. God bless you. Save the lost at all costs. Amen. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit filled, live called in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous
this broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what. Why don't you blush this minute?